the view. You know, uh, good times, bad times happen to all of us. But it's very important in Scripture how we view those times. And today, we're going to talk about how God's goodness, that what Jesus has done affects how we view those things. There's a Scripture verse, at least half of the verse is not very encouraging, but I think it speaks of what we have experienced in 2020 and in, during this lockdown. It says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, this is the good part, it is a tree of life. Hope is the expectation of something better. Well, when hope is deferred, many people probably felt like when you started 2020, this is going to be a great year, this is going to be wonderful things, opportunities, and it seems like everything has been deferred. Everything has been put on hold. It even seems to sound like a lost year. And then disappointment and sadness can come. And it says here, hope that is deferred makes the heart sick. It means when there's an unrealized expectation. And you say, I've been waiting for it. And then it doesn't happen. It's like a sickness that grabs your heart and drains your strength. And, and so I want to give us three examples from Scripture of how people viewed things, especially when they went bad. And then I'm going to give us three powerful prophetic admonitions that I pray will be like a prophecy into your life. The first person I bring to your attention, her name was Michael. We would call her probably Michelle today. She was a princess, the youngest daughter of King Saul. And yet, she had a very tragic life. We, we meet her in 1 Samuel 18, 20, where it says, Now Michal, or Michelle, Saul's daughter, loved David. That's all it says. She fell in love with Israel's hero. You know, David had just defeated Goliath, and, and he was the one that he was the greatest guy in the country, probably was about 18 years old. She may have been 16. And they fell in love. They were like high school sweethearts, I guess you would say. And, and, and there was a romance. Maybe this doesn't sound romantic to you, but please uh, let's not judge people who lived thousands of years ago. What, what David did, he, he, he killed 200 Philistines. This doesn't sound very romantic to, our, to me or to any one of us today. And he brought 200 foreskins of the Philistines as a dowry to his uh, future father-in-law, the king. And, and then they got married. And, but then, you know, things went bad and went sour between David and his father-in-law, the king. And Saul tried to kill David. And, and then there's a you know, romantic story that uh, Michael, she, she let David out the window. Maybe they tied some sheet together and he escaped. And when the king's men came to kill David, he was gone. And she had put some other things in the bed and put some, some hairy thing there to make it think that David was sleeping in the bed, but he was not. And so you have all that stuff going on. What, what a beautiful story. And yet it didn't end so good. Sometimes, you know, life can have a great start and then things go wrong. But even then, how we view it makes all the difference. But what happened was this, that uh, King Saul, in a revenge, said, I'm going to take my daughter who's not going to be married to David. So he took her away. They could do that in those days. And he gave her to another man called Palti. And, and, and yeah, that, that's an appropriate name. He was kind of a Palti guy. And then her father died in war. Her, 
her brother Jonathan died in war. Her other brother, Ishbosheth, was, was murdered in cold blood. You know, that's a lot for a young girl to take in. And, and then the years go by, so she's living with this other husband now. And, and we don't know much about her life, but then when David actually became king, he was not so nice either. You know, you can, David, we, we think of him as the great worship leader, but you read the Bible, you find out some things that maybe you, you, you miss at first glance. So he says, well, I'm going to show you who's boss. And he said, I'm taking you back from Palti. And it's a sad story. I wish I could read the whole thing from the Bible, how, how, how she has to go back to Jerusalem. Obviously, she didn't want to. And, and, and Palti is walking along. It, it's just a terrible story. And, but look at it from Michael's point of view. Life has been tough. I had such a good start. Everything looks so promising. I was born a princess, and look at me now. I'm, uh, nobody wants me. But you know something? My sympathies are totally with her. I, I, I love King David, of course, but in this story, my sympathies are with, uh, are with Michael. But, but even when everything has gone against us, it's important how we view it. Maybe somebody, you have faced some tough things, and if you were to tell me the story of, of everything that went wrong in your life, my sympathies would be with you. But even when that's the case, you know, we can all determine how we view life. And so what happened was God was working through David. God was using David, and, and Israel was being restored, and they were bringing the ark of the Lord back, and David got so excited, he was dancing before the Lord. He danced so hard, his clothes fell off. Here's what we read. It says, when this was going on, Michael came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be humble in my own sight, he says. But as far as the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And then it says so tragically, and it doesn't explain all the details. It says, therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of his death. So it gives us a glimpse it doesn't give all the psychological analysis we may have wanted, but it gives us a glimpse that somehow the way she viewed everything, it was such a disappointment. It was such a heartbreak to her. It, 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 it somehow made her bitter. And, 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 and the, the metaphor here is her life was not productive after that. And you know something, the way we view things determine whether we have a productive life or not. I go back to 2020. Too many people, this year has been such a disappointment. You know, you plan to go visit maybe with friends and family. You plan to do certain things, maybe enroll in a, in a course, take a, educate yourself, and, and everything has just been put on hold. But it's so important how we view things because I prophesy to you, there's a future and there's hope for you with God. You know, many things. I, I listed some things that could disappoint us. Situations. Sometimes we, we expected something, and we get into a situation, and it was not what we expected. People. People can let us down, maybe more than anything. Um, people promise time or money or something, and they didn't come through, and we feel let down. Sometimes people become disappointed with God. Or where is God in all this? Maybe most often we are disappointed with ourselves. And it can, it can break a heart. 2020 has been a disappointment. 
Think about it. Elijah faced a situation. He was so disappointed. He was so down. He says, I got nobody. I'm all by myself. Nobody is standing with me. And, and God had to shock him into reality. You're not the only one. You got 7,000 people are standing with you. You remember there are others. I'm thinking of Moses. He must have been disappointed with himself. He blew it. And yet God appeared to him in a, in a burning bush and spoke to him that there was a future. Let me give you another person, very quickly, who faced dire circumstances. She's also a woman, well-known, Bathsheba. You've heard of her, right? Everybody's heard about Bathsheba. She was like a Miss Universe, beautiful. She was married to a man called Uriah. She was probably happily married. She, everything was going good. But then, uh, without going into the details of the terrible thing that again involved King David, it, it resulted in her husband being murdered. She lost a baby. She lost her life. She was taken away. She was taken advantage of. She came into a blended family. They didn't use that expression back then, but one of David's other children, Adonijah, it says he despised Bathsheba. You know, there's a lot of people who live in a difficult family situation, and you could view that and say, poor me. Why me? What have I ever done? There she was. And one of the children, the other children just, just hated her, couldn't stand Bathsheba, held everything against her, despised her. And yet, she had a different view because she, this woman, who could have just become so introverted and feeling sorry for herself, feeling that there's no hope for me, she became the role model for what the book of Proverbs describes as the virtuous woman. Let me read there. It says in Proverbs 31, this famous chapter, chapter that is often quoted on Mother's Day Sunday, you know, it says, the words of King Lemuel, that's another word for Solomon, um, the utterance which his mother taught him, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. Bathsheba was Solomon's mother. And she inspired Proverbs 21. She was, she, she, and, and, and beyond that, she's one of the four women in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She's described as excellent, she, virtuous in business, in service. Uh, and she, she's, she's held up in, in great honor. So you can see here, there's a parallel. Both these ladies had very sad circumstances. Both of them, our sympathies are with them. And they both had the opportunity to take a very negative view. And if they did, we could, we could justify it. I could say, well, I sure understand why you feel it. And I would say that to people. You could tell me all the things that have gone wrong. And every one of us could tell some, some kind of a sad story. And we could say, oh, I can see why you're bitter. But bear with me. I'm not going to take that view today. I'm going to say, yes, I understand the negative scenarios, this disappointments, but you have an opportunity with the help of God to view things in a new way and go into a bright future. You don't have to have a tragic life. You can have a better tomorrow. <laughs> and that's what I'm believing for every single person. Let me give you another example. Asaph. So who's that? He was a prophet, a musician, a preacher. And that. Uh, uh, you know, he, he describes mentally, he was viewing things in a very skewered way. 
He didn't see things. You know, sometimes you can become so disappointed. You become so disillusioned. You, you just don't see things straight. I don't know what part of the world you're watching, but I'm certainly speaking to our Toronto church family, but also I know there are many from all around the world. Something could have happened, and you say, I, I just feel so let down. And here's what Asaph said in the psalm. He wrote Psalm 73. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. That's how discouraged he was. He felt like giving up. And he says, and then he goes on, I won't give you the whole thing because this is one discouraging reading. He says, I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as others, nor are they plagued. He, in other words, it seems some people who don't care about God at all, some people who don't care about the Bible, they're not Christians, they're not believers, and things are going, they don't have a care in the world. But he says, what's the use in serving God? I, I put some other things down. He talks about how their, their eyes can be bulging with pride and abundance, and they speak against God. I don't need God. Forget this Bible thing. Forget it. I don't believe any of that. They can talk like that, and it looks like things are going good. And so he's saying, I'm disappointed. See how he's viewing it? He said, I don't feel good about it. It seems that they're the ones who drive the nicest cars. They have a vacation home. They live in the penthouse. He says in verse 8, they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? These are ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. When I thought of how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He said, how? Huh? How can it be like this? And so he's, Asaph here, he's pouring out his anguish at God. And I, and I said like this, you know, you can tell God all your disappointments and God can handle it. You don't have to come to God in prayer and, 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 and come all piously trying to impress God. You tell God exactly what you're thinking. And he's there to help you, to give you favor in your darkest hour. Now, I, I'm going to come back to Asaph because I don't want to leave it there because actually his view changes. There's something that happens to Asaph that changes how he views it. And I want to talk about that prophetically for your life. There's something that happens when you take a certain step that changes how you view everything. And, 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 and you know, there is a, but let, but let me just say that I call this a Christless view. We, we can look at the circumstances of 2020 in a, in a Christless way. We don't see Christ there, and it in, incapacitates us. It, it paralyzes us. It's like Asaph, he was, he was dysfunctional. He, 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 he said, I can't cope with this. Mentally, it's too much for me to bear. You know, Elijah felt a bit that way when he, when he said, I don't have anybody. I'm all alone. You know, when we are disappointed or even offended, it can really rob us of blessings. I think of Naaman, you know, who needed a healing in his body. He was leper. And I suppose would have died in that. But he was given the opportunity to receive healing. But he was so offended. He was so disappointed. He wanted the preacher in that case uh, you know, uh, Elisha, he wanted him to treat him in a certain way, and he wasn't treated like he wanted. So he got so mad and so upset that he almost missed the blessing of God. You know, disappointments can cause us to miss things. I think of, of Barnabas, and I, I think he's one of the beautiful people in the Bible. He was there. He led Paul to Christ. But later on, he became disillusioned with Paul. 
And maybe he was robbed of some of the opportunities he could have had. You know, don't let that happen. Don't let whatever disappointment, whatever failure, whatever things you thought would be different, don't let it rob you. I, I was reading just yesterday in my Bible about Paul, and I give you this verse because Paul himself wrestled with this. And, and he says, and I'll explain the verse. I read it from Philippians 2. He says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. So probably Paul is writing this from jail, and he's probably feeling a bit discouraged. He's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you. He's a good guy, and I trust him, but I don't have anybody else. They all, none of them are any good, it sounds like, right? So Paul is going through that. But you know what I did? I said, I want to read what it says in the next verse, the next verse in Philippians, the next verse. And then very quickly, Paul changes his tune and he says, oh, 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 by the way, I have Epaphroditus and he's awesome. He almost gave his life for the cause of the gospel. So you see, I see this dynamic in Paul here. He's like at one moment says, you know, I, I mean, I got Timothy, that's it. The rest are all, the, the, nobody is really dedicated to the Lord. And then he, then he says, no, 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 I was wrong. I've got Epaphroditus too. See, his view changes. His view. Are you ready to have a view that will give you a great future? I want to just give you three things. Remember, I'm coming back to Asaph, but hold on. First of all, number one, in, in the view, look at yourself in Christ. I, I practice this myself. Sometimes the view around me doesn't look all that good. Sometimes I could be discouraged. There could be a negative circumstance. But I try to practice this. I see Peter Youngren in Christ. Look at what Paul said. He says, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I don't know if it's underlined there on the screen or not. To be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is from God by faith. There's so much in that verse that I would like to preach on right now, but that would take too much time. So I'm going to just say to be found in him. Paul is saying, I find myself in him. See yourself in Him. There's a future. We're coming through this pandemic. We're coming through this lockdown. And there is a glorious future in Christ for you. He has never left you nor forsaken you. You are included in the Christ. Let, let me read another verse here. Second point. I'm going quickly. Look forward. See yourself in Christ and look forward. And, and famous verse, but let me just read it and you get some fresh insights. Not that I have already attained or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What, what do we get out of this scripture? Well, so many things, but just a few here. There's no way back. You know, when I first heard the expression new normal, we're coming going to have a new normal, I said, forget about it. 
I want the old normal. <laughs> and I think you feel the same way. I got to resent to that. Don't talk about a new normal. I, I'm going to have the old normal. But the more I've thought about it, I thought that there is no way to go back. There's no way to go back. Oh, I remember the revival of my childhood. I remember. There's no way back. There's only a way forward. There's, you know, however much you wish and you can remember and you can go over it in your mind, but there's no way back. There's only a way forward. And, and, and it says here, I'm going for what Jesus laid a hold of me for. Paul says, Jesus laid a hold of me. <laughs> I like that expression. I think it's true for you. Jesus Christ has laid a hold of you. I can say Jesus Christ laid a hold of Peter Youngren. It wasn't just that I came to Jesus, but he laid a hold of me. And he, and he said here that it's just, I'm pressing for that for which Jesus laid a hold of me. That means when Jesus laid a hold of you, he laid a hold of you for a purpose. And I'm going for that purpose. And, 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 and then Paul says to, to get there, you have to forget. Just, just forget some things. Forget some of your failures. Even forget some of your successes, you know, because you may want to just want to repeat them over and over again. It doesn't work like that. Forget disappointments. Forget that teacher who let you down. Forget that boss, that neighbor, that failure. Who, whatever haunts you, forget it and reach. It's, it's kind of a picture of someone running, reaching. Press on, press on for that which Jesus Christ has prepared for me. You know, our, our Christian life is this, at the starting point, when the starting pistol is fired, Jesus is there. At the finish line, Jesus is there. He is the author and finisher of faith. And so we are pressing for that upward call. We're going higher. We're not going lower. We're not keeping the same level. We, and I prophesy also to uh, the, the, the wonderful family called the Toronto International Celebration Church, and I prophesy to all the worldwide World Impact Ministries family, we are going higher. We, we are taking stands we haven't taken before. We, are, we have an upward call. That's for you. Receive that as a thus saith the Lord for you. And then I promise to get back to Asaph. There's a third view here. See yourself in Christ. View forward, look forward, and then look at God's house. I go back to this uh, man, Asaph, who was so discouraged. He says, nothing makes sense to me. It seems, what's the point in serving God anyhow? And then he said this, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God or the house of God, then I understood. Now, we know that the sanctuary or the house of God or the temple of God in the Old Testament, it is reinterpretation as the church, the congregation, the ecclesia. And 90 out of 100 times that the word church is mentioned in the Bible in the New Testament, it's about a local church. It's not speaking just, even though it's wonderful, they believe it's all over the world, but it's a local church that's being addressed. The church is used in a local sense. And here Asaph says, you know, he had faith in God, but though he was questioning, he was struggling. He says, and until I went to the house of God, I didn't understand, but then I understood. I would say, look to that 
family, that spiritual family that for us is Toronto International Celebration Church. Maybe for some of you it's the World Impact Celebration Church online or whatever it is. You know, life makes sense in a local church when it doesn't make sense when you're a loner. You know, then, 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 then Asaph says this. He says, my heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind, foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast. He said, I, I had stupid behavior. But then I went into the house of God, and then I understood. And he says in, in, in a few verses later, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he says, there's something when I came into the house of God. I say, when I am with the assembly, when I am with the church, I understand community. Some people say, well, can't you have faith in God by yourself? Of course I can. Can't you worship God by yourself? Of course I can. Can't you pray by yourself? Of course I can, and I do. I do all those things. But it's equally true that there was some special power in coming together. It says in one place that the whole church lifted up their voice in prayer. It was that there's something powerful that happens when you come together, when you assemble yourself together. And, and, and so we are so glad. And I mean worldwide, everybody who's watching, in a sense, you are in cyberspace assembled with us. And we, you know, if that's the best we can do, it sure is a whole lot of better than just being on your own. But there's also something for coming face to face in person together. And, and, and so people say, well, I, I, I can just do my own thing. Well, we're not debating your ability to do that. But the scripture is clear here that Asaph, his mind got messed up. He wasn't thinking clear. Why? Because in the community of believers where the prophetic word of God is spoken, where vision is shared, where people come together and say, we are taking on this task. We take, as this church does, by the way, if you're watching from other parts of the world, we have a, I was amazed, Pastor Nathan told me even how much we do to help people uh, you know, with their social needs, food and all that we distribute right here to needy people. I mean, it's not that I wasn't aware of it. I just didn't understand the poundage of it all. And, and so what he says here, Asaph, he says, when I, when I came to the house of God, I was strengthened. I saw that there was strength from God. And I saw my portion. There's a place for me. In other words, there's a big pie, but there's a slice of it for you. There's a portion. And, and, you know, so it's not that the whole pie is for all, you know, we, we all share. But you see that in the house of God. And so I got to finish up here. And remember, I have an announcement coming later on. The view. In the case of Michael, life was tough. It made her bitter. Not a good thing. In the case of Bathsheba, oh, some tough things happened. But how she viewed it made her better. In the case of Asaph, he was mentally discouraged. We don't know all the reasons why, but he was just mentally, he was a philosopher of God. And he, but he became wiser because his view changed when he hooked up with the whole body of believers. Oh, my time is done. I want to just say this to you before I go to Pastor Nathan, and it's going to be communion and other things. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you right now to say, I surrender to Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we welcome you to the family of God. Just say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, 
I come to you. Thank you that you took my sins, that you died in my place, and that you rose again. And say, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. And just that in and of itself sets you on a course for a whole new view. You know, Jesus said, if this if a person isn't born again, they can't even see the kingdom of God. They can't even view it. They don't, they, they, and that's why some people are saying, even with our churches, why are you doing what you're doing? Why, why, why this and what that? Because they don't see it. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't even see it. But, but at least when you receive Christ, you have the potential to see 